All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, the title of today's sermon is Chosen, and we're going to be looking specifically at verse 4 today. We're going to read verses 3 and 4 so we can see our passage in its context. And I'll be reading and teaching primarily from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. So um, if you have an app, you might want to go to that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's our verse today, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your word this morning. God, we thank you that you are present, that your desire is for us to know you and to grow in our identity. This morning, God, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would move in this place to open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see our Father, and that we might find our identity as children of God. God, teach us, lead us as we look at your word, as we examine your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Dom taught about God's blessings. Uh, that, what he says in verse 3, that, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we saw how God's blessings change us, how God's blessings change our identity that God's blessings actually redefine who we are. And then in verse 4, Paul starts the process of unpacking or revealing these blessings. And today, in verse 4, we read that God chose us, that we are chosen by our Father. And we're not just chosen, but we're chosen, it says, before the foundations of the world. That God's choosing us before the foundation of the world, it means that our faith, our faith or our faithfulness is not the reason why God chooses us. Rather, our faith is the result of God choosing us. God didn't choose us because we were a good choice. God chose us because He is good. God is love and He chose us in His love as an act of grace. And so God choosing us changes us. This is one of those incredible, kind of the most foundational spiritual blessing that the Apostle Paul is referring to in verse 3. We are blessed in that God has chosen us before the foundations of the earth. We are no longer what we had made ourselves out to be. We are now, our new identity is we are chosen by God. That God's choosing us before the foundation of the earth as part of who we are. We're no longer not good enough. We're no longer not attractive enough. We're no longer not successful enough. But God's choosing us means that rejection and fear of rejection no longer define us. That God's choosing us also sets us free from our compulsive avoidance of rejection and our obsessive desire for acceptance. We're set free from that by the fact that God has chosen us before we were able to do anything. 
And it's surprising how powerful and how formidable past experiences of rejection can be. Rejection can can shape our entire identity. Rejection can uh, define who we think we are. And if we're not very careful, rejection will form the way we see not just ourselves, but the way we see other people. And rejection, experiences of rejection in our life, can even shape and form the way that we see God and see ourselves before God. Now, just as a way of testimony, I have some horrible memories of gym. I'm from the East Coast, and so PE in New York is gym class. Okay, so in gym class, uh, having to play basketball. One of the reasons I hated basketball is I was never chosen first. I was never chosen second. In fact, I was never really chosen at all, right? I just, you just kind of get assigned to a team when you're as good as I am at basketball. <laughs> Furthermore, we, we played, it was like old school, we, we, we played shirts and skins, okay? Now, I, I, I know I wouldn't worry about it now, but, you know, when I was much younger, uh, I'm, I'm horribly scarred. I've had a series of operations when I was younger, and when I was in junior high, I, that was just the worst thing imaginable to me, was that I had to go out in front of everybody, being horrible at a sport, take my shirt off, and be horrible, <laughs> I lacked confidence. I never felt that I measured up. I thought only the good kids were chosen and the rejects were just assigned to teams, right? Like the good kids were, were the captains and the ones that the captains chose. And I was always just sort of a, a disappointing addition to the basketball team. I knew I was no good. And we'd start the game. I would walk out onto the court and already I was disappointed with myself. I, I knew I was going to blew it. I was going to blow it. I was waiting to mess up. I was expecting to mess up. I knew that I could and I would only disappoint myself and that I could and I would only disappoint others on my team. That was an identity that I had formed around the fact that I was very bad at basketball. See, I longed for approval. And so these these experiences and these expectations of rejection in my junior high years, they had a tremendous impact on me at that season of life. Not being chosen, it didn't only affect my identity, it defined how I acted, and it defined how I felt and how I perceived other people. Not much has changed as we get older, right? If we were to line up to choose teams right now, I would probably fall right back into the, into the same old feelings of rejection, of, of not measuring up, unless I was very careful. I would still long to be chosen, and I would still end up feeling rejected and feeling less than. I would dread every second of that experience. And what's scary is that nobody can rescue me from that. That's something that was hardwired in me, these expectations, these ideas when I enter a situation where I lack confidence. Uh, It defines the way I interact with people in moments where I'm not real sure of myself or real confident in my abilities. My identity as disappointing and not chosen was hardwired into me in junior high school. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying that because so you can all feel sorry for me, okay? I'm fine. <laughs> but here's the point. If we don't carefully form our identities in Christ, we can default to a false identity that is based on our bad performance. 
and apart from Christ, then we only see ourselves as disappointing, bad Christians. That's the trouble with experiences of rejection in the past. We have to be very careful to not apply them to our new identity in Christ. And many of us have struggled with this in our relationship with God. We feel defeated in our relationship with God. We sometimes feel defeated even before we do anything wrong or bad. We wake up just feeling defeated. And some days we feel like we're only going to disappoint ourselves, and we feel like we're only going to disappoint God. And we come by this understanding uh, pretty honestly because our culture teaches us that only the good ones get chosen, right? And it was true in gym class for me as a kid, and I can see it as being true today. And so if we're not careful, we translate this idea that only the good get chosen, we translate this into our perception of God. And we sometimes think that God only chooses good people, or that God only blesses the good people, or that God might only use the good people. And so if we don't carefully rehearse the gospel, we might look at our heart and our choices, and we might think that God hasn't chosen us because we feel that we are not one of the good ones. Do you see how, how rejection and, and that how formidable rejection can be in our understanding of who we are in Christ. The truth is, and here's the sobering truth, is that we actually are bad apart from Christ. That none of us are good apart from Christ. However, listen, Christians, as a Christian, we must be careful not to think that God only chooses good people and only rejects bad-performing people. That is not how God operates. And this idea that God only rejects bad people and only chooses good people, it will either drive us into shame or it will drive us into pride. Those are the two areas we, we seem to vacillate between, shame and pride. And if you're, like, if you're a schizophrenic like me, I'll experience shame while I'm being prideful even. It's like the, t- the two extremes in life. Now, when we're honest, we know we we fall into shame because we realize that we are not good, and we are, therefore, wrongly, we conclude that we're rejected by God. And so, you may not think that God will totally reject you. You might be a smart enough Christian to realize that God will end up saving you, but many Christians fall into this false belief, this unbiblical belief that God is at least disappointed with them based on their behavior. That after all, we're disappointed with ourselves, or other people are disappointed with us, so why wouldn't God also be disappointed? And our identity, or how we perceive and think about ourselves, is influenced by rejection. Fear of rejection. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we feel. Fear of rejection affects the way that we act. It influences how we think about ourselves, It influences how we see others, and fear of rejection influences the way we think about God. Now, fear of rejection also creates unhealthy behavior patterns in our life. We we live in fear, perhaps, or, or we become pessimistic, 
Uh, we become perfectionists, always trying to feel like we're good enough and, and finish what we start to, to achieve some kind of success in our life. Or, or we become uh, just comparative or competitive in an unhealthy way in every aspect of life, you know, having to get the last word and competing and comparing ourselves or looking down on others or sabotaging others, or, or we allow a critical spirit to overwhelm our personality, and we're, we're always just criticizing and nitpicking and pointing out faults in other people. See, left alone in our fear of rejection, an honest person would be driven to shame, realizing that they're not good, and therefore falsely conclude that they're rejected by God. And the self-deceived, we embrace pride and we believe that we're better than others and we deserve to be chosen. Both are errors on the extremes. Both are unbiblical positions uh, in the gospel before God. We We seem to swing between shame and pride, don't we? But God is a good Father and He is neither the God of shame or the God of pride. God, our Father, is the God of grace. Our Father saves us from rejection and fear, and fear of rejection, by choosing us. Our Father saves us from the deception and false reality of pride by choosing us before we had the opportunity to do something good, before the foundations of the earth, remember. Because God is love, God loves us, and He loves us while we are rebellious. He loves us while we're unlovable. He loves us while we were orphans, the Bible teaches. And because God is love, we are unable to love God. So God chooses to bring us into his family. At a point in life where we are unable to make a good decision for ourselves. See, our Father loves us and he chooses to rescue us. His ability to to look into the future and see our need for rescue, and He chooses to rescue us. Christian, if you know God, you know God because God has chosen you. He has chosen to rescue you. Now, this choosing is what we call the doctrine doctrine of election. Now, I know election can uh, seem like a taboo topic in Christian circles. It's like, you know, talking about politics around the Thanksgiving table or something like that. Um, a predestination or election, because there's so many different opinions and so many different views. But we teach verse by verse through the Bible here, and so we're examining what verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1 tells us about the doctrine of election. And so let's, let's reread our passage now in the New Living Translation. I feel it, it brings a little more clarity after having read the CSB. So here's verse 4 again. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God loves us, and he chose us. This is the doctrine of election, plain and simple, that God chooses. God chose us. Uh, The pastor, uh, John Stott, he said that election is not a human speculation, but it is a divine revelation. Uh, John Calvin did not invent the doctrine of election right? He, he, he read it in the Apostle Paul's writings in the Bible. Our issues with the idea that God has chosen us, they usually arise because Scripture also states it so simply without any explanation. It just says that God chose us. It's, it's a statement. It's not an argument in Scripture. 
And so uh, it's a statement that's made over and over again. We, we see it first in the Old Testament that God chooses Israel. And if you know anything about God's choice of Israel, you know that it wasn't necessarily a good choice. What I mean by that was that Israel, they didn't deserve to be chosen. They weren't even a thing until God chose them. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, we know, brothers and sisters who are loved by God, that he has chosen you. Romans, or excuse me, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, as for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters who are loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. It's God choosing over and over. And Jesus says it so simply in John chapter 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. See, the idea that we're chosen by God is clearly and plainly stated throughout the Old and New Testaments. And there it is, that God's chosen us. But I'll confess that I think that we all, at some point, find this idea difficult, that God has chosen us. And the reason why is because election or, or predestination, it's tough to understand because there's another doctrine that is clearly taught and presented in the New Testament, and that is the doctrine of free will. It's also very biblical, and it's central. Free will is central to our salvation and our spiritual growth. Free will is that we choose God. And so here we have uh, God choosing us, the doctrine of election, and us choosing God, the doctrine of free will. Yes, God has given us free will. He has created us with the capacity to choose. Now, we know that God has given us free will because God holds us to be morally responsible, doesn't he? And the fact that God has given us a moral responsibility is evidence that he has given us the ability and the freedom to choose. We have been given free will by God. And Scripture shows us both. That God is sovereign and he chooses us, and that humanity is responsible for making their own decisions. It's been given free will. These two biblical truths about God and about his creation are, are held in tension with one another all throughout Scripture. First, humanity is always responsible that God's love and God's grace and God's sovereignty never relieves us of our responsibility to make good choices. Humans are always responsible for their choices before God. But secondly, God is always sovereign. So man's bad choices never diminishes God's sovereignty. God is always sovereign despite the fact that people make bad choices. And now, as foreign as this may seem, the Bible makes it clear that God's sovereignty and human responsibility are not in opposition to one another. It's mysterious for sure, but Scripture shows us that human responsibility and God's sovereignty work together. They're not in opposition to one another. Although we tend to think so, these two truths are not in opposition. Did I choose to follow Christ? Yes, That is necessary for salvation. Did God choose me before the foundations of the earth? Yes, absolutely. Election is a doctrine. This mysterious idea that we choose God who had chosen us, it's a doctrine, it's been said, that lets God be God and helps us realize that we are not God. (laughs) That we're not going to be able to understand all the ins and outs of these two doctrines that, that work 
in cohorts with one another. Uh, R. Kent Hughes said this as we consider this, uh, this, this tension that's held between predestination and free will. He says that we must never allow our subjective experience of choosing Christ to water down the fact that we would not have chosen Him if He had not first chosen us. So what do we make of all of this? It's been hotly discussed for centuries. And we might choose uh, to, to spend even more time hotly discussing it. There are a lot of things to ponder and question. Many things that you might find troubling as you think about these two uh, doctrines together. Like, is it really us choosing if God has chosen us? Is it really God's choosing if we have free will to choose for ourselves? Or, or, or so I am chosen, but does that mean that other people aren't chosen by God? Why would God not choose some people? It's been, it's been discussed and debated and, and pondered for centuries. And so here are two questions I ask today in light of these things. Should we either fret and argue through all of these points again? Or should we begin to think about God differently in light of the fact that He has chosen us? See, we can choose to worry over the questions that election and predestination creates, or we can choose to worship God who has chosen us and live our lives from the reality that election creates for us. There is a reality about who we are that is, that is absolutely set upon this foundational doctrine that God has first chosen us. What is this reality that the doctrine of, of election creates for us? Listen, This is powerful. The reality of the doctrine of election is that God has not rejected you. You are not rejected by God. You are not not chosen by God. Our life in this fallen world often boils down to the question of, am I accepted? Am I accepted might be the deepest question relating to our identity as we seek acceptance, as we long for approval in life. We've all experienced rejection in life. When people, when parents or teachers or friends or coaches, when bosses or even our spouse, or just when culture in general, when life tells us that we are not accepted or that we are less than, We respond by throwing ourselves into finding acceptance and identity. And we do that by pursuing people, uh, possessions, and places of power. We're searching for an identity. We search for people or positions that can help to validate us. And when we don't find validation and we don't find acceptance, or we don't find a new identity, we start to ask the big questions in life. Who am I? Am I really good enough? What am I missing in life? And in our efforts to find ourselves, to find acceptance, in our efforts to discover an identity, uh, the search for identity, it causes us to do some really strange stuff. It's a cultural phenomenon in America called the midlife crisis, right? The midlife crisis. That's, That's why Chevrolet sells so many Corvettes. It's a midlife crisis car, right? We're searching for who we are. Plastic surgery is alive and well in America. People are searching for for an identity. They want to look younger. We buy cars that cost more than entire neighborhoods in other nations to feel better about ourselves. Some people will ignore their families in order to pursue their work and climb the ladder to feel better about themselves, to feel more successful. 
Some will turn to alcohol or turn to drugs to numb their longing hearts and their searching minds to kind of pacify that. Some people will dive into pornography looking to feel better about themselves, if only for a moment. Now, why why do we do these things? They all sound so self-destructive and and ridiculous when I say them out loud on a Sunday morning. But see, we, we do these things because identity is a big deal. Acceptance and feeling accepted, feeling not rejected, is a big deal to us. We're looking for acceptance. We're trying to discover ourselves. We're looking for our identity. The entire world, our whole culture, is in this process of trying to prove themselves and discover themselves to find acceptance. And we cannot, the Bible teaches very clearly, we cannot find ourselves. We cannot prove our own worth. It's a futile endeavor. Jesus said that if you want to find your life, you must what? If you want to find your life, you must lose it. And so while we cannot find ourselves, listen, Christian, the good news is that we have been found by God. We can't find ourselves, but we've been found by God. See, it's an incredible gift of grace. The gospel declares that our identity is not something that we discover or that we make for ourselves, but rather that our true identity is a gift of grace from God. Our true identity is that we were chosen by God. There is a greater truth about who we are that we must live by. There is a truer reality that we must walk in. Now, we all know God loves us, but so often we live as if we're still trying to earn His love rather than living from a place of knowing that He already loves us. We're still trying to perform for God so that He'll love us like perhaps maybe your earthly father. You had to do really well in order to to get Him to appreciate you. Or, Or you had to make the decisions that He thought you should make in order for Him to feel proud of you. Our need for acceptance, our need for approval is met by the Father's love for us by the Father's choosing of us. And this reality of who we are in Christ, it disarms our tendency to to let our level of success or to let our popularity or let our personality, it disarms us of our tendency to allow those things to determine whether we are good enough. We're no longer rejected orphans searching for acceptance and approval. We are no longer stuck searching and longing for a truer identity. In Christ, we are the king's kids. We are kingdom kids. God has chosen us, and we get to choose now because we have free will. We get to choose to live according to this greater truth of who we are in Christ. We we can either walk in this new identity that, that has been put out for us to walk in as an act of grace God has graciously given us a new identity, graciously extended a rescue, and He's given us the free will to grab a hold of His offer of rescue. The greater truth is that we are fully loved and fully accepted as children of God, and that we are loved and that we are chosen by God. And and as the Apostle Paul says here, before the foundations of the world, before you were rejected, before you were criticized by your peers, before your teachers 
cut you down in class, before you were neglected or brushed aside by loved ones, before you were ignored or unnoticed by your boss, God chose you in Christ before the foundations of the world. See, that fact that you were chosen by God should change the way you see yourself. It should change the way you see others. And it should totally change the way you, perhaps you see God. And so why? We have to ask this question. Why am I chosen by God? Is there something that I have done? Or is there something I must do to win God's approval and God's favor? We've got our second part of our verse. It says, before the foundations of the world. Before the foundation of the world. What did you do to impress God before the foundations of the world? Think about that for a second. What, what, did you, what was so amazing about you before the foundations of the world? What did you do? See, our tendency is to fall into either pride or shame, right? Either I'm amazing so God chooses me, or I'm worthless so God doesn't choose me. But see, we're not chosen by God because we're amazing. We are not chosen, and we are not not chosen by God because we are worthless. See, we are chosen by God because God is amazing, not because we're amazing. We're loved by God, and it is His love that makes us valuable. We're chosen by God because God is awesome, not because we are awesome. We're not chosen because we're worth choosing. We have great worth because we have been chosen. Christian, that is your identity. Not that you were worth choosing. Your identity is that you have been chosen. Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, actually, that God chooses the foolish things of the world, right? He chooses the foolish things to confound worldly wisdom. He chooses the despised. Why? So that we can't boast or brag. He chooses the powerless so that we rely on His power, and He gets all the glory. See, we bristle at this because our desire to feel desirable and deserving is deeply ingrained in us. We, we want to feel desirable. We want to feel deserving. And culture sells us on the idea that we can actually earn success, or we can at least fake it, right? We want to be worthy. We want to be desirable, right? We want people to like us. We, we want to have earned a place of honor, a position of honor. We want to feel as though we deserve the best things in life. Listen, guys, th- this is a tremendous error that, that culture has sold to us, that we would feel this way. Because all of those attributes, to feel worthy and desirable and to have a place of honor and that we would deserve the good things, the best things in life, those are all descriptions of things that belong only to God. Th- that was Satan's error. Satan wanted to be recognized as having earned honor and position on his own apart from God. Satan wanted to be recognized for his giftedness and the things he could do rather than to exalt the giver of gifts. Only God is actually deserving. Only God is truly desirable. Only God is worthy of praise. And we see in Genesis that that like Satan, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted to feel desirable and worthy and deserving and have knowledge apart from God. And apart from God, we stand with Adam and Eve, seeking knowledge, seeking worthiness, all apart from God. And standing with Adam and Eve, we therefore stand guilty before God. And that is the place where God finds us. Guilty, hopeless, powerless, living in in fear of rejection, desperately searching for approval. 
We need to be saved from this. God, in in his foreknowledge before the foundation of the earth, was able to see us in that place. And he chose us. Christian, God chose you to be saved. On our own, we're foolish, powerless, we're insecure, we're unworthy, and we're worthless. But God has united us with Christ. God has made us right with God. And see, in Christ, we are now holy and pure. There is a purpose in the choosing. The purpose, he says, is that in Christ, we would be holy, that we would be righteous. In other words, that we would be right with God. We would have relationship, right relationship with God. God has united us with Christ. And in Christ, we're now the exact opposite of what we once were. He has exchanged my worthlessness for the infinite worth of Christ. I now stand infinitely worthy before God because I'm in Christ. He has exchanged my foolishness with his wisdom in Christ. He has exchanged my powerlessness with his Holy Spirit that he has given me in Christ. He's exchanged my insecurities and my fear of rejection with the security of now being adopted into his family. See, God chose you because he is love and he loves you. But it also says in our verse that it brings him great pleasure. Because God is love and because he finds pleasure in choosing us, listen, this is important, the basis of our relationship with God is his love and his pleasure. That's the the basis of our relationship with God. Before the foundations of the earth, before you had the ability to be amazing, before you had the ability to blow it, whichever you are, whichever your, your pride or your shame, before you had the ability to categorize yourself, God found tremendous pleasure and, and loved you and chose you. It might be difficult to grasp because many of us didn't experience this love and pleasure from our earthly father. We had to kind of earn that from him. But here's the main issue. We needed to be rescued. We needed to be saved. And it brought God, and it brings God, pleasure to rescue us and to adopt us. We're now in Christ. And see, this needs to change our identity, Christian. It needs to change the way we see ourselves. It needs to change the way we we think about ourselves and the way we think about other people. Because I'm no longer not good enough because I'm in Christ, and Christ is good enough. I'm therefore good enough now. I'm in Christ. The issue is no longer that I've not behaved well enough. Why? Because Christ has behaved perfectly on my behalf, and I'm in Christ. The issue is no longer that I don't love God enough. Gosh, if you just love God more. The issue is not that I don't love God enough. The issue is that God loves me enough. See, God loves you, and he finds great pleasure in rescuing you. A book I read a long time ago, uh, it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. He puts it this way. He says the most difficult part of mature faith is allowing ourselves to be the object of God's delight. So here's the challenge for the honest Christian. The honest Christian knows that we're far more sinful than we we even want to admit. The dark of night when we lay there and we, we think about the decisions we made or we think about the thoughts that went through our mind. We thought about the things that we weighed in our heart. We realize 
we realize that, that the, our struggle with sin is very real. Now, God knows my heart. And here's the thing. God is completely honest and just. God knows my heart. And therefore, God expects more failure from me than I am even willing to admit to you right now. God expects that of me. He knows me. And he's honest. He knew the depths of my heart, and still he chose me. Christian, some of you need to hear this today. God is not not choosing you because you're a bad Christian. God knows how desperate and distant you might be in, in, the, in your heart of hearts. God knows you, and yet he chooses you. So my identity is no longer formed by striving and defeat and rejection. I can be myself before God. My identity is formed by the reality that the Father, who is the King, has chosen me. It's formed by the reality that the Father has chosen me to be without fault in His eyes. That's what He has chosen me for. He didn't choose you for some halfway position, some half-baked place before God. Like, you're saved, but you're not really approved. You're the one that has to kind of earn your way, right? You're the, you're the, you're the little runt of the litter that's always kind of looking for a, a, you know, that's not the way it is. Um, our identity is formed by the reality that the Father has chosen us in Christ. And God's choosing us is absolutely central to our new identity in Christ. The fact that God chooses us means that God sees us as unable to choose him. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, I don't care what you think about the doctrine of election and free will. Dead people don't have free will, right? Dead people are dead. God chose us when we were dead, okay? So put that in your free will pipe and smoke it, okay? Okay. <laughs> See, because God is love, He sees us with the loving eyes of a father. He sees us in need of rescue, like a, like a father sees his son who needs help. God chose to rescue us as a father chooses to rescue this son. We're created in His image, and He has given us free will. Bef but before we could even mess up, before we could ruin our lives and everything else on earth, God chose to rescue us. He knew we would need rescue. God made the decision to rescue us, bring him back to his self, because he is love. It was an act of grace. So this is the reality of being chosen by the Father, that God fully knows us, and he fully loves and chooses us and adopts us. In order for us to see ourselves rightly as children of God, we must see ourselves as God sees us, as his kids, as kingdom kids. We need to see God rightly, in order to see ourselves rightly. Because God sees you, Christian, as chosen. And this should help, it should help us understand who we are to God. This should help us as we think about ourself and our new identity. That God has accepted us, so we are now able to accept ourselves, and now we are able to see ourselves as accepted. You're no longer defined by rejection. And that causes us to be less prone to tear others down. That acceptance, it causes us to be less prone to vie for power or vie for control, having to control every little detail. Or we get all insecure and fearful. But God's chosen you. He's got it. It makes us less prone to compete for places and positions or, or popularity. 
And here's the other thing, and this, this, is the, this is the joy that I'm still hoping for more of in my life, is in our new identity in Christ. Having been chosen by God, we are also not devastated by criticism. It means we don't feel the need to criticize others to help us feel better. That we actually are able to be humble and loving and accepting of others. We're actually able to build others up because we're not competing with them. And so we must see ourselves as chosen so that we can live our lives from a place of having been chosen. The freedom that comes with having been chosen by God. God loves us so that we don't need to win the love and approval of others. We're done with that. God has chosen us so we don't worry about other people rejecting us. We're done with that. God has accepted us so we're free from having to prove ourselves to others as acceptable, earning acceptance by other people. Listen, Christian, we're done with that. God has approved us in Christ. We don't need to win the approval of other people. As God's chosen kids, we are able now to serve, promote, and help, and even praise other people. And so when we see ourselves rightly, we're then able to see others rightly too. Because what seems to be arrogance in people is often just a person's refusal to accept themselves. They don't feel good enough. We don't think highly enough of ourselves as God's kingdom kids, then we'll tend to not think highly of others either. And when we feel low, we tend to bring others lower so we feel better. See, living from a place of chosenness, it changes all of this, doesn't it? Because we're loved and chosen by God, we now stand before others differently, right? Life without knowing our Father's approval is a bummer. It's just constantly striving. Relationships without knowing the Father's approval are simply competitive mind games. We're always just comparing and and competing in our minds and in our hearts and maybe even in our actions with others. See, our chosenness, it also causes us not only to stand before other people differently, it also causes us to stand before God differently. We're loved by God. We're not overlooked. We're chosen by God. We're not rejected. We're blessed by God. We're not neglected. We're holy. We're not dirty. Christian, you've been chosen. And so now pride has no place in your heart and mind. You're done with that. You've been chosen. Shame has no place in your heart and mind. We're done with that. You are not rejected, Christian. You have been elected by God. God has chosen you. And now, you may never be validated by other people in your life, but God has completely validated you. God has chosen you. And His validation is more than enough for us. His validation, His blessings, they're immediate. They're satisfying. They're complete. And so for us to desire more validation than what God has given us, it's just silly. And it's distracting. It's insulting to God. And listen, it's sin. It's us saying, God, you're not enough. I I I want your acceptance, plus I want the approval of everyone in in life. I want want the fame that you've given me in in your presence, plus the the fame of, of the world. Like, it's as if God's acceptance isn't enough for us. Desiring more validation than what God gives us, it's evidence that we don't understand the Father's love. We don't see it as good enough. Desiring more validation than what God gives us is evidence that we don't see our Father's blessings or understand our Father's blessings. And it's evidence that we don't yet see ourselves as kingdom kids, chosen by God. Christian, you've been chosen. You are loved. You are blessed. You are adopted. 
a prayer today as we respond to this, as we think about this. I know it's kind of a big, sort of a heady theological thing, talking about the doctrine of election. But guys, let's respond. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to redefine in our hearts and in our minds who we are. You're not a broken, striving, insecure person seeking approval. You have been chosen by your Father. You're well-loved. You're well-cared for. In the highs in life and in the lows of life, you find approval, acceptance, love, and joy in your Father's house as a kingdom kid. Amen? Father God, we praise you for this truth, this reality that we're chosen. Father, help us to see you and to know you and to trust you. Help us to rest in the place that you have given to us, God. Help me, God. We pray together. Help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to see myself as chosen. God, that you chose me when I was unable to make a good choice. That you chose me to be a child in your house, not a servant in your house. That you chose me as a well-loved child, not as a not as a neglected child or a second-rate child, that you chose me to be completely blessed and equipped, not neglected, not that we have to beg for your attention. God, help us, each one of us this morning, to see you, to discover your grace. Help us to see and receive and rejoice and stand up into our identity as chosen kingdom kids. In Jesus' name, amen.